Across the street at our church, we use monthly worship themes. Our theme for November is gratitude. So this morning, I'd like to reflect on some of the gifts which I've received that I have been most grateful for in my life and invite you to do the same. A number of years ago, in the earlier days of social media, I became involved with a group of friends, friends I'd known from my hometown, who all decided to make gifts for each other and send them around. And I still have one of them. It's a maple leaf. It was sent to me by my friend Sharon from my hometown in Lemonster. It's simple. Just a leaf she took off the ground, put in a frame, and sent to me in Texas. When I received it, it was my first fall in Texas. The first time in many years I'd been away from New England during the autumn season. It's been with me ever since. It's got a power and an energy I can't explain. It's the natural world. It's home. It's my friend. One Christmas when he was much younger than he is now, my son made for me a Unitarian Universalist chalice, our, our faith symbol, out of these plastic connects toys. And I've kept it all these years. I was impressed that he knew something would mean a lot to me, and he made it himself. And it's hung in church offices and in apartments and all kinds of places since. When he visits me now from college, he tries not to look at it. <laughs> but all you parents know it's one of those things. <clears throat> the stole I'm wearing this morning, a gift from friends from my hometown, from my home congregation who sewed it for me. I told them, I'd like a rainbow chalice that celebrates our faith's tradition of inclusion and diversity and especially support for the LGBTQ community. And instead of making the usual brightly colored rainbow, they made it with all these darker, paler hues that all kind of ran together. And, and I really loved how it's, it did what I asked for and yet it was their own creation. And they could have gone out and bought a rainbow chalice, some, a rainbow stole somewhere, but they didn't. They made one. And as you can see, I still wear it often. What gifts have you received that stay with you? I'm sure, like me, you have such gifts. You've received them. You've given them. I'm sure they hold the same power for you these hold for me. Perhaps, also like me, one of the most powerful gifts you've ever received was not a thing, was not a leaf, was not an object at all, 
Perhaps it was an emotion or an idea. One of the most powerful gifts I've ever received was such a gift. When I was a little boy in grade school, my best buddy was a little guy named John Barber, Jr. His dad was the minister of the Pilgrim Congregational Church in my hometown. And one year, Reverend Barber, during Advent, decided to construct a shanty out of plywood on the front lawn of the church, and then proceeded to live in it. Because homelessness and hunger in a season where we venerate a homeless family was not being attended to. The shack came down at Christmas, and it ended up in the barber's backyard, and John and I painted it some awful teal color <laughs> and turned it into a treehouse and such things. And it wasn't until years later I realized the gift his dad had given me. Because the gift was that it doesn't matter what I believe if I do not practice it in my daily life. Eventually, when I got to seminary, I would learn that the early Christian communities called themselves people of the way. And they didn't call themselves this because of what they believed about Jesus. They called themselves the people of the way because of the way they lived differently in contrast to their surrounding culture because of what they believed about Jesus. They believed in equality. They included slaves and women. They took care of people who were sick. They fed people who were hungry. The gift I received from Reverend Barber was that it was the demonstration of my beliefs and values is what counted. So, I'd like to invite us this morning to focus once again on how we live our faith. Because there is a way for us in the living of our faith and values to actually create the world we'd like to see. And I think a lot of times we think this is beyond us. But it is within our power to create a more just, equitable, safe, compassionate, kind community. And I'd like to invite us to start this year by dropping out of Christmas. Quit it, cold turkey. I'm sure that, like me, every year when the season comes around, you look forward to it and are then caught up in the corporate, consumer-driven culture 
that tries to tell us once again that buying presents and going shopping is what's important. But I'm also convinced that, like me, you know that's not what it's about. You know, just like the Grinch does, that Christmas doesn't come from a store. Perhaps, perhaps, it means just a little more. And we know that. You know it, I know it. We know this. If we didn't know this, I wouldn't be running around gathering extra pizzas to feed all the people who said they're going to come help feed other people this Wednesday and Thursday. We know this. Our difficulty, and such is the human condition, is not our values or what we believe. It's actually acting on them. We know in our hearts that this coming season is not about shopping and buying things. And so this year, I'm going to ask all of us to not do it. I'm going to ask you, if you will, to conspire with me to quit Christmas this Advent. In fact, we can join a larger movement called the Advent Conspiracy. <laughs> was started by a number of pastors around the country a few years ago, and it's become a thing, believe it or not. The Advent Conspiracy asks you to take up four tenets, take up four things. Buy less, but give more. Love all, worship fully. <clears throat> we can buy less. Buying less means become a person again, not a consumer. Get off the gerbil wheel of Christmas shopping. Remember the merry-go-round when you're a kid and it's spinning faster and faster and faster? And you can see the world around you going by, but you can't make any sense of it and you're starting to get dizzy? And nothing really returns to normal in your vision or your stomach until you actually get off and it all settles down, right? So this year, don't get on in the first place. Don't buy. Spend less. If you must buy, Buy from a local artisan or craftsperson or church Christmas fair. Keep the money local in your own economy that helps your friends make a living instead of feeding corporate profits somewhere out there. The gifts that mean something, and you know this because you have them like me, you can't get them in stores anyway. About a month ago, one of my best friends from when I was growing up had a 50th birthday party. And it was a big to-do, and I saw a lot of people. It was better than a class reunion, actually. It was great. And at a certain point in the night, he got up to thank everybody. And one of the things he said was, I love you. Don't forget to tell the people you love 
that you love them. We know this. And yet sometimes we all fail to practice it. Give more. Buy less. Give more. What can you give if you're not buying? You can give lots of stuff. You can give leaves and sculptures made out of plastic toys and cookies and your time and your attention. If you step off the gerbil wheel of shopping, you don't have to go to the mall. You've all of a sudden got more time you can spend with your family and your friends. Maybe even with friends you don't know you have yet. That's what the love all part is about. We know, because we do it, to love our neighbor as ourself. But where it gets difficult is we tend to constrict and constrain instead of expand who it is we see as our neighbor. And this is important stuff for us to remember. Who is our neighbor? Because it's not just the people who live across the street, and it's not just the people who look like us. We live in a world increasingly where our community is not defined by those in proximity to us or who share our civic boundaries but networks we belong to at work or on social media. If we're going to love all, all means all, including and maybe especially the people who are not like us. In recent days, we've heard a lot of hatred and fear and xenophobia and Islamophobia. And I wonder if we hear so much of that because we've forgotten that everybody's our neighbor. Not just people who look like me and sound like me and pray like me, but everybody. And this is what Jesus tried to teach us, yes? Who is my neighbor? Well, it's not the people in nice suits who happen to be a minister at a local church who are too busy going to some meeting to stop and help the person on the side of the road. It's the person we'd least expect. It's the Sikh who looks Muslim so he gets beat up. It's the Hindu who looks Muslim so he gets attacked when he stops to help. I read a book a number of years ago called The Year of Living Biblically by a guy named A.J. Jacobs, and he tells his story in his quest to live out every single tenet in the Old and New Testaments. He ends up wondering what a Samaritan thinks of the Good Samaritan story. So he goes to Samaria, present-day Samaria, and he finds, of all things, the Good Samaritan coffee shop, the owner of which is a Samaritan. And he asks the guy, well, what do you think of that story? And he says, you know... I'm glad you asked. I've always wanted somebody to ask me that. He says, I think Jesus wanted people to take care of the man left by the side of the road because at one time he was the person left by the side of the road. And maybe that's why he told the story. 
maybe it is. Maybe that's how he's trying to say, love all. In a week, we've heard so much fear about people from Syria, about people who are Muslim, about people who are refugees. And by the way, the people who perpetrated the Paris attacks were neither Syrian nor refugees. That family that we get to at the end of Advent, the one Reverend Barber slept out in his church lawn to call attention to, refugees. And Joseph went up from Nazareth and Galilee to Bethlehem in Judea. And the story goes on and tells us, and then Joseph got up and took the child and his mother and went by night into Egypt. And maybe Jesus tells us the story of the Good Samaritan because when he was grown up, his parents told him, when you were a baby, we had to leave our home. We had nothing. And we had to rely on people to feed us and give us water and welcome us as a stranger. And maybe that's how we worship fully. Yes, this Advent, I want us to come to church and I want us to pray and I want us to practice our faith. But practicing our faith is not just praying or listening to me or singing hymns. Worshiping fully means living out the values we hold. Worshiping fully means making turkey sandwiches and bringing them to people who are left alone. It means making friends with our South American and Egyptian neighbors who are all around us. And it's so important that we worship fully like this. Because if we do, when we know our South American and our Egyptian neighbor who live down the street or in a neighborhood across town, when we know them, not only is it harder to believe stereotypes or racism or discrimination directed against them, it then becomes harder to believe it about people who are Syrian and Muslim and refugees who don't live in our town. And the fear stops. And the hate stops. And just by knowing our neighbor, we've created that kingdom of God, which is our calling, that we're supposed to be involved with doing, creating that beloved community. So today, when the sermon's over, we're actually going to ask everybody to actually pledge to join the conspiracy, to put your name on the line and say, I pledge to give up Christmas. I pledge to spend less, give more, love all, and worship fully. What if we all did it together? The average American spends $800 a year on Christmas. Consumer spending on Christmas in America as a whole tops $450 billion. That's incredible for something the season's not even supposed to be about. The people who run the Advent Conspiracy online and try to get churches to take part, they request that you spend half of what you were planning to spend on Christmas and donate it to your neighbors to help love all. One of the things they promote is safe drinking water 
And although we spend $450 billion in America on Christmas, it's only estimated that it would only cost $20 billion to give every single person in the world safe and clean drinking water. How much can we do if we do together? Ten years ago, a Unitarian minister in Rochester, New York, issued this challenge to his congregation. Spend half of what you usually spend on Christmas. Give it to the church. We'll donate it somewhere. They raised $64,000. They had to form a committee to decide where to give the money. What can we do if we do it together? Perhaps together we're not a big enough group to raise $64,000, but maybe we can raise ten. And God knows both our congregations need the money ourselves. Maybe we can take half of what we were going to spend, not spend it, and give half of that to our church, then half of it to our church to give away to other people who need it. If we all did that together, what an incredible gift we could give. Maybe we could ask other people to do it with us. You know, dropping out of Christmas and radically loving our neighbor is difficult and scary and counterintuitive and countercultural. But then again, so was Jesus. And so were the people of the way.